sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. All right, well, welcome to church, church. It's good to see you on this Easter Sunday morning. Uh, What a joy it is to to be able to come together. If you're a first-time guest with us here today, we're thrilled to death that you Uh, took your Easter Sunday to come and join with us to celebrate our risen Lord. Today, throughout all of Christendom, is the highest and holiest day of the year in the Christian calendar. It is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what a joy it is that we can celebrate that today And uh, just to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is alive. I'm always reminded of the the little girl who was in the play. The children in the department had put this play on for, was going to put this play on for the church. And uh, she had the, the, the part where the angel would speak and say, He is not here, he has risen. And she practiced her lines for all week, and she practiced them and practiced them and practiced them, and it came time. There she was on the stage. The the spotlight hit her in the face, and she could not think of her lines. And the only thing she could think of, he's not here. He's done left out. (laughs) And so, folks, that is the call of Easter. He's not here. He is risen. And because of that, you and I have the great hope, the blessed hope. If you'll turn with me to Colossians chapter 4 this morning, we're finishing up our, our study that we've done through Colossians chapter 4. And uh, as Pastor Matthew said, we'll be starting a new series on um, next Sunday on the God-centered, the gospel-centered family. And what a joy that's going to be. I invite you to come and and walk with us through that. We're going to look at all kinds of different aspects of family today and try to do everything we can to encourage you and to help you in your walk uh, uh, with your family and with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it says this, Titius, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God and who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you 
a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Laodicea, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the study that we've enjoyed as we've walked through the book of Colossians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've seen your hand on the Apostle Paul, even while he is in prison, writing uh, this book and this letter to the church. Lord, we thank you for the truths that were there. And as we finish up today looking at the practical part and aspect of what his ministry was all about, there's a connection that brings him together with all of these people that are listed. And Lord, may we honor you in realizing what that connection is. It is because of a relationship with you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is in... Roman prison, writing a letter to one of the churches. In fact, he writes this letter to encourage them, to strengthen them, and to help them understand uh, the false teachings that's going on that is trying to do everything it can to cripple the church. The first two chapters of the book of Colossians is about doctrinal issues. Then the last two chapters are about practical issues. How are those applied? How in the world or why in the world in chapter 4 verses 7 through 18, the last part of the book of Colossians, it's basically a list of people's names. Now think about that for a minute. What has that got to do with Easter? <laughs> why are we preaching on a list of people's names today? Uh, and what has that got to do with Easter? Well, let me tell you what it has to do with Easter. Think about Jesus Christ. As he came into this world, gave his life, he had those who became his followers, his disciples. But he had different types of friends. He had those like Judas who would betray him. Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? That's hard. It's probably one of the most difficult things you'll ever experience in life. But Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And Judas had walked with Jesus. Then we see um, impetuous Peter who claims, Lord, I'll never stop serving you. And Jesus said, yes, before the cock will crow, you'll deny me three times. And sure enough, that's what Peter did. 
In fact, all of his disciples who were supposed to be his friends on the day that Jesus was crucified, or the night that Jesus was crucified or carried into his uh, trials and then the early morning Friday uh, crucified, where were his friends? Where were his disciples? They were hiding in an upper room. So did Jesus really have any friends? I mean, think about this. I looked up definition of a friend today, one, uh, uh, this week. One of the best definitions that I've been able to find was simply this. A friend is someone who when everybody else walks out, they walk in. Now, how many friends did Jesus have? Well, if we look in reality, and we're talking about that definition, Jesus didn't have many friends. In fact, the only friends he had was the triune Godhead that was with him. All of his acquaintances, all of his disciples, but what changed them? Because every one of these disciples who were hiding in the upper room, every one of them, with the exception of one, and that's the Apostle John, who probably died on the Isle of Patmos being marooned there for preaching the gospel. But every one of these disciples died a martyr's death. Andrew, you know of Andrew's cross, it's an X. Andrew was crucified on a cross like this. Peter was crucified as well. The same Peter who denied Jesus, something happened to Peter that changed him and he became a faithful follower and true friend of Jesus Christ because Jesus, uh, uh, Peter was crucified on a cross upside down because his remark was, I am not worthy to be crucified as my Savior was. And so they crucified Peter on a cross upside down. What changed Peter from hiding there in the upper room? What changed all these other disciples for fear of their life? What changed them? What changed them was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that resurrection... Their lives were changed. We know in John chapter uh, 9 and verse 7 that Jesus had brothers. And the Bible tells us that his brothers did not believe upon him. But then his brothers became followers of Christ. And, was, and no doubt was, uh, uh, and we see in the book of Acts where James was the, one of the first to be martyred. So what changed his brothers? The resurrection of Jesus Christ what has changed your life and has given you hope and direction no matter whether your friends are sticking with you or they desert you you have a friend that's closer than a brother and his name is Jesus he will never leave you nor forsake you he'll be with you always he'll be with you in life he'll be with you in death he'll be with you in eternity he is there he is alive he lives within us and because of the resurrection we have hope so let's just kind of walk through and look at some of these friends and see what has changed them and what made them to be friends of the apostle paul 
and what made them and their lives be so radically changed. In the final verses of this chapter, we get a glimpse of Paul's friends. In fact, there are these are people without whom Paul would never have been able to carry out his ministry. In fact, none of us can accomplish anything good or great for God without the help or the aid of other people. I mean, think about what goes on here every Sunday. How would we have a service if it weren't for all of you who are serving faithfully? Do you know it takes 8 or 10 or 12 people? I don't know how many, but it's a bunch. To, just to be able to do our sound, our live stream, our cameras, all of that. It takes all those volunteers. Our children's workers, the volunteers who come and teach our children and sing with them the songs of Jesus and teach them about the love of Christ. And then our faithful teachers in our connections classes and then through the week in our, in our community groups and all the things that go on, God takes those who have understood that their lives have been changed and they, it's a bond that puts us together and that bond is because of the resurrection of Christ. We cannot accomplish great things on our own. One person, a leader, perhaps may get the credit. You know, when Pastor Matthew and I are up here preaching, you see us, but what you don't see is all the work that goes on behind the scenes. And there is a lot of it that goes on behind the scenes. But behind every successful person is an array of gifted and faithful workers and friends. Proverbs 27, verse 17 from the NIV says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, when you sharpen a knife, you're taking something that's harder than the knife, and the knife has got it's become dull, it's got a rough edge on it, and you're taking something that's sharper, and what are you doing? You're knocking off those rough edges and bringing it to a fine, thin edge so that it's sharp. And you and I do that for each other. Sometimes we knock those edges off pretty roughly. Sometimes those that are our friends have to say things to us that we don't really like to hear. But it helps knock off that rough edge. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9 it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Well, let's look, beginning in verse 7, at this friend called Titius, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord. He's a dependable friend. You have any dependable friends in your life? Those that you know that if, um, if you were to have a problem or difficulty, you pick up the phone, you could send a text, and you know they would be there for you in just a New York instant, as they say. A dependable friend, one that you know will be there. Then we see in verse 9, Onesimus, who was a faithful friend. Onesimus was a runaway slave. You see, he thought he would run uh, for his freedom and get away. He was an indentured servant. But he ran away from his, um, from his master. But you know what happened? God had a different plan for Onesimus. Onesimus thought he would run to Rome, and he'd be able to hide in this great big city of Rome. 
But guess where he ended up? He ended up, I don't know exactly how it happened, but he ended up coming to know the Apostle Paul. Paul led him to Christ, and then Paul later sends Onesimus back to Philemon and to the church there and says to them, whatever he owes you, I will take care of it when I come to you. Onesimus was changed because of the message of the gospel, even though he was running from uh, his responsibilities, God met him where his need was. And Onesimus became a faithful and new friend of the Apostle Paul, all because of the message of the gospel. And what is the the, the finality of the gospel is the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection of Christ, Paul would never have been in prison. Without the resurrection of Christ, he would not have had a message to share with Onesimus. Onesimus' life would have been on. He'd have been a fugitive for the rest of his life. His life would have been miserable, running, always hiding, wondering, looking over his shoulder, wondering what was going to happen. But because of the resurrection, it changed his life, and he became a new friend. Then in verse 10, we see a loyal friend, Aristarchus. He says, my fellow prisoner. Now, there is a true friend. Notice what he calls him, a fellow prisoner. Now, Aristarchus, for some reason, was in the same prison with the apostle Paul. Now, whether he had been with Paul when Paul was arrested, or he refused to leave Paul because he was such a close friend of his, but Aristarchus was a loyal friend. You know those loyal friends that come and cry with you when you need to cry? They're, they're there when you need help. When, when there's trouble, they're always there. When there's difficulty, they're always there to help. When there needs to be a word of encouragement, they're always there with it. That loyal friend that never leads you. You know, through the years as a, as a pastor, almost 50 years now, I look at this list of friends and I think back through over my life how I've been blessed with people who have become friends. In fact, I, I would consider myself probably closer to some of my brothers and sisters in Christ than I am even to some of my biological family. A loyal friend. At a difficult time in, in my life, a loyal friend stepped in. Then we see in verse 10 as well, a reconciled friend. He says, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, now, who was Mark? Well, his full name was John Mark. Who was he? He went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Mark is also the author of, uh, with the help of, of Peter, he's the author of the Gospel of Mark. So who was this guy? He was a young fellow, probably in his teenage years, and he went on a missionary trip with Paul and Barnabas but when things got really hard when things got really tough he went back home and later on we see that when Paul is putting together and Barnabas is putting together their second missionary journey there in the book of Acts that uh, Barnabas says well we we need to bring Paul oh we need to bring Mark along and Paul says absolutely not he's a crybaby he had to run back home to mama. We don't need people like that in our ministry. But here we see that some time from that point on, we see that 
Paul and Mark had reconciled. And Mark had become a reconciled friend. Have you had a friend in your life that you had this falling out? And it really hurt you deeply? And for a long time, you, not, you didn't communicate with each other? They had their children, you had your children. You didn't get to see their children, you didn't see them. But then something happened that caused you to be reconciled with that friend. And what a joy that was. Do you know that that's what Jesus Christ did for you and me? When he rose from the dead, the Bible tells us that he accomplished what the theologians called the act of justification. That is, he made us right with God. He provided a pathway through which we could be reconciled to God. What a friend. I asked Brother Gary to sing that song today, and thank you, Brother Gary, for doing that. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus reconciled you and me. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans 5 and Romans 10 that we were aliens. We were alienated from God. We were separated from God. In fact, it even says that we were enemies of God. And that we had all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we, we were hopeless. We had no hope in this world or in the world to come. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But Jesus Christ reconciled us to God. What a friend we have in Jesus. And here we see Mark is reconciled to the Apostle Paul and in fact, he says of, of Mark that he is a blessing to me. And then we see in verse 11, a quiet friend. Now, here's a unique individual. In fact, it's the only time he's mentioned in Scripture. He's called justice. It says and they, that they have proved to be a comfort to me. Now, Paul doesn't describe exactly what justice had, had done in being a Oh, a comfort to him, but no doubt he had ministered to him while he was in, in jail there in the Roman prison. Those people that work behind the scenes, there'll be some of you who've never stood on a podium and sang or preached or played a musical instrument, but you've been faithful behind the scenes doing the things that, that need to be done so that the work of God can continue. I think about our safety team. You realize today that we are, we are covered. We're safe in here. I pity any fool that might want to try to come in and disrupt something going on in here or to harm anyone here. Because we have a safety team that's behind the scenes but they're keeping us safe. And you may never know who they are. But I can tell you this. They would be willing to give their life for you. 
to keep you safe. And you probably don't even know who they are. I think about those precious workers behind the scenes that come and clean. And I think about our uh, ministry that started out little dresses for Africa. Now it's expanded to dresses and, and, and pants and everything else for Ecuador. Uh, the, the ministry is growing. I think about those ladies who come faithfully every week and they sit in there and they cut out all of this material and they sew it all together out of uh, uh, pillowcases and sheets and make beautiful dresses and, and all types of things for young ladies. I think about all of that behind the scenes and all of that carrying on. Those who have been so faithful. Justice was one of those individuals who was behind the scenes. But then we see in verse 12 a praying friend. And boy, do we all need one of those. His name is Epaphras. Verse 12, it says, Epaphras, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. What, who, how did he do this? What, what was Epaphras' ministry? How did he pray? Notice this passage tells us he prayed always. In other words, you didn't have to request uh, Epaphras to pray, or you didn't have to call on Epaphras to pray. You didn't, you didn't have to in any kind of way manipulate him to get him to pray. Epaphras was a praying dude. And I think about our prayer team who meets every Sunday morning, and we have a, a text uh, thread that these prayer if you have a prayer i promise you one thing there's probably at least immediately if you send that prayer to us here at the church almost immediately there's going to be our staff every one of our staff praying for you everyone on our prayer team praying for you and if you want it to go to the whole church then you're going to have another 350 or so people praying for you and that's almost instantaneously and that's all behind the scenes But he prayed always. But not only did he pray always, but he prayed laboring. Now what do we mean by that? Simply this, that he was serious about praying. I had a dear pastor friend that um, if, if you ever left his presence, um, he was going to pray for you. Now, I'm not talking about as he was waving at you, he'd say, I'm going to be praying, I'll pray for you. No, here's what he'd always do. Before you would ever leave his presence, he would grab you around the shoulder and hold you. I mean, almost like a, you know, an arm lock there. He'd hold you and he would pray over you. Right there. Didn't matter if you were in the supermarket or if you were at, at the Walmart or where you might be, he was going to pray over you before you left. And you know why? Because he said this to me one day. I asked him one day, I said, Brother, I appreciate your, your praying for me, and I love you and, and, and appreciate you doing that for me, but, but what, what motivates you to do that? Why are you, those that you, you, you labor at praying for people, why do you do that? And he said, Brother Ken... One day, he said, I had a fellow that asked me to pray for him. 
and I didn't do it. And I um, walked away from him. He was serious. He wanted me to pray for him. He was um, experienced a lot of trouble in his marriage and in his family. And he said that very night, I get a call that that young man had committed suicide. And he said from that point on, he says, anyone that was in my presence before they left my presence, and it's especially if they asked me to pray for them, I don't care it, where it is, I'm going to stop and pray for them. Boy, we need friends like that, don't we? Who labor at prayer. Then he prayed fervently. Fervently. What do we mean by that? Have you ever, you know, as, as parents, you've got, you know, the children, they get, they get sick and you get them home and, and you try to get them to bed and they're coughing, 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 and won't stop coughing. Uh, when I was a kid, they'd fill you full of Paragard and knock you out and you'd go to sleep. Well, we can't do that anymore. Um, so that you give them cough medicine. And you pray over them, you sing their little songs, you finally, they get to sleep, and you go over and you put them down gently, and you cover them up, and you're walking back to your bed, praising the Lord that you might get another 30 minutes of sleep before the alarm goes off. And just about the time you get in the bed and get your head on the pillow, <coughs> here we go. That hacking cough that never seems to stop. That's what this fervently means. It simply means that it was a continual act. They never stopped. He prayed fervently. Then he prayed factually. Now what do we mean by factually in the latter part of the verse it says that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God his prayer Epaphras' prayer was always that you would find and follow the will of God for your life then we see in verse 14 a talented friend a talented friend Luke the beloved physician you know that he's the only Gentile Luke, the beloved physician, he stayed with the Apostle Paul. He was there because he was able to, to take care of Paul's medical needs. He was a talented friend. We know that not only was he a, a physician, but he was a tremendous and great theologian. As we look in the Gospel of Luke and we see how he describes Jesus Christ and how he uses medical terms, very talented and probably could have had a great living, but yet he committed his life for the gospel's sake because of what? The resurrection had changed his life. And then we see in verse 14 as well, a difficult friend, a fellow by the name of Demas. Now Demas was another one of those guys that we know if we look in Scripture, we see that the, uh, Paul tells us that Demas forsook him and walked away from him. That he, it says that he loved this present world more than he loved the things of God. 
So he walked away. Have you ever had a friend in your life that served with you and served the Lord with you, and then, boom, all of a sudden they just walk away? Well, that's what Demas had done. But Demas, no doubt, had repented and comes back and says, even though he had a troubled life, we see in verse 14 that Demas is there, and he says, and Demas to greet you. And then in verse 15, a hospitable friend, uh, Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Undoubtedly, Nymphus was a, probably a wealthy individual who had a home large enough so that a church could meet in his home. And he was a faithful servant. He no doubt had probably put the Apostle Paul up and taken care of him and fed him and all that so that Paul would be able to focus on sharing the gospel everywhere that he went. And then finally we see in verse 17 a discouraged friend. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. What does it mean to fulfill something? Fulfill means to finish. You don't quit. You don't stop. You don't give up. You don't wilt. You don't lose heart, but you continue to do the work that God has called you to do because God is faithful and he has won such a great victory for you and for me. And he has not only done that, but he has given us a new life, a new hope, and he's given us the blessing of understanding and knowing that our home is in heaven and it is secure because of his resurrection. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare that place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the promise. Archippus was discouraged. I've thought about this a lot, Pastor Matthew, and I know that you and I understand this. I want to tell you, sometimes ministry can be very, very uh, discouraging. You see, you have friends, and friends desert you. You have fellow servants, faithful servants, and then they pack up and leave. And with a pastor's heart, your heart breaks. And Archippus, no doubt, it was in the ministry. And he was discouraged as he was in the ministry because he, ministry was hard. And he was being tremendously persecuted. And he says, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And I want to tell you, the only thing that sometimes keeps us preachers going is the fact that we know that Jesus is Lord. That's the only thing. Because if we trust in people, people will talk about you. People will lie about you. People will get on Facebook and, and run their long lips and tongues. People will do anything and everything. They'll talk about the church. They'll talk about anything and everything. But it comes down to this. 
The only thing that can keep us going is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And to know that he did not quit. Listen, when Jesus was beaten, he was beaten to where he lost almost all the blood in his body. Imagine, and then having to carry the cross all the way up the Via Della Rosa. And they're fainting, falling, because he could not carry the cross any longer. Most men died from the beatings that they took. But Jesus didn't quit. He went all the way to Golgotha. And there, instead of them taking his life, he laid down his life for you and for me. He became, he took our sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. You and I deserved what he got, but he took it for us. He died on the cross, an agonizing death, the physical agonizing death. But then he was buried, and on the third day, he rose, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he did not give up. You know, on the cross, we talked about this Friday night when he cried out these words, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished or you are finished. It is finished. The whole redemptive plan of God had been completed for you and for me. What should that do to us? as we fulfill the ministry God has called us to. And every one of us as believers have a ministry where we work, where we go to school, here at the church and serving others, reaching out into the community. The food uh, uh, delivery that we do will, will be this next Friday. The other things that we've accomplished through the years, the ministries, the outreaches, the, the basketball, the, I mean, all the things that we do as an outreach to to our, to our uh, community. Don't give up. Don't quit. Fulfill what God has called you. What would happen if every believer would show up every week with a heart of service and commitment to the Jesus Christ Savior who has died for you, who rose from the grave for you, and has given you the gift of eternal life? Nothing would be more important than that. Dr. Adrian Rogers once said like this, that if there were no resurrection, nothing matters. But because there is a resurrection, that is the only thing that does matter. And for you and me as believers in Jesus Christ, we have all the opportunities that God has given us. But we need God-honoring determination, God-honoring, stubbornness that says if God has called me to do this, I'm going to do this by the grace of God and nothing's going to stop me. That's what Paul prayed for his friend Archippus. We've been called to share the gospel with the lost and dying world. 
It's the greatest um, opportunity that we have. And believe me, we live in a lost and dying world. In fact, it becomes more evident every day. I look around and I see things on, you know, on the news and events that are happening in our world today. And I wonder, Lord, you've got to be coming soon. But until he comes, we need to be busy. What did he tell us to do? The thing that changed the disciples' life was the resurrection. The thing that's changed our lives is the resurrection. And what did he tell us to do? The Great Commission. To go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of this age. We are to go. We have been commissioned to go. You can't say gospel without the word go. You can't say God without the word go. You and I have been called to go. Is it only, do we only go when we feel like it? That's one of those unfaithful friends. Do we go as, as we saw with justice behind the scene and stay faithful, carry out the work? I pray that that's what your heart is. Are you the praying friend that, that prays fervently? Are you the dependable friend? Are you the loyal friend? Are you the reconciled friend, the quiet friend? Are you the one who will do and fulfill the calling that God has put on your life. And every one of us has a calling. Go and make disciples. We're going to close our service today. One of our precious teenagers is going to come and, and sing a song. And this will be our time of invitation. So what could we say in final words? What does Easter mean to you? Is it just a one day out of the year that, that you decide that you'll be religious and go to church? Or is Easter and the teaching and the meaning of Easter the driving force of your life every day? That's what God has called us to. He's called us to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And today could be the day that you can do that. As Jenna sings this song, and as well, Christians, maybe today is the day that you were one of those that have been wayward that you've walked away for a while. But God pricked your heart, the Holy Spirit of God pricked your heart to come to church today, and God's spoken to you, and you know that your walk with Christ is what you need. Today, during our, as she sings this song, we invite you to come publicly and make that decision for Christ. To serve Him, to fulfill the calling on your life.
and to be faithful and to allow God to use you for his kingdom's work. I want to pray and then um, Jenna's going to sing this great song. And I want you to sit there and just think about these words because this song is about what he's called us as a church to do. And until he comes, we need to be faithful. And the message of the resurrection changes people's lives. Lord, thank you for all that you have done for us and in us and through us. And for the fact that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And even though those that we call our friends may forsake us, uh, there will be those who will stick with us. There will be those who will follow through that no matter what. There will be those who will pray for us. But yet, Lord, uh, you're the, the friend that never leaves nor forsakes. You're always dependable. And you've called us uh, to your kingdom's work. And may we be faithful as you've commissioned us to go forth. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. 